Hello, my name is Sam Thiday. Some people may know me as a rugby league superstar. I played 304 games for the Brisbane Broncos. I played 29 games for the Queensland State of Origin. And represented my country, Australia, 32 times. He stepped back in field, the crowd lift. He's got to kick off the cross finals Uh, the reason why I want to do this podcast is I want to paint a human element to some of the superstars or, or the people that we look up to or the people that we put on these pedestals. Hopefully I can, with my story and getting my story out, encourage more people to speak up and show people the human side of us as well because we are human. So in the middle kind of part of my youth, I started playing rugby league, which was a, a fantastic avenue for myself. It was a chance and opportunity to find some really good mates and camaraderie and a definite outlet for myself as a kid. I had the punching bag, which was downstairs, and that was an outlet for myself to get a bit of... Testosterone out. Yeah. I can imagine there being a lot of testosterone in your house with five boys. Yeah. Rugby league was a fantastic outlet for me. It was a chance opportunity to grow some relationships and friendships. Uh, a lot of guys that I'm still really good friends with today. And What grade did you start playing football? Six. So was, before high school? Before that, my brother and I did little athletics from the age I was six. And Ruben had already done a year of little athletics in New South Wales when we lived down there. I really enjoyed athletics. I had such a competitive streak in me and wanted to beat my brother at everything, but he was faster than me, he could jump higher than me, he could jump longer than me. Ruben made the Queensland baseball team, Ruben made the Queensland soccer team, Ruben made oh, the Queensland little athletics team. So I was, I was definitely in competition with him. Yeah. And I think that healthy rivalry was good and uh, I just wanted to be like my big brother and yeah. that was also a blessing and a curse because... You know, Ruben was so good at all these sports, but he was also brilliant academically, and that's somewhere where I kind of fell off myself, and I could throw a javelin 60 metres, and I could spin a discus, I don't know how far, and shot put was my thing, and, you know, rugby league was my thing. They were the things I was good at, but, you know, I can still remember teachers telling me that, oh, I wish you were more well-behaved like your brother Ruben, and you know, I wish you was, you know, a little bit smarter like your brother, and... I just kind of took those things on board and kind of kind of brings you down and, you know, it's not, not overly nice when you have people telling you those things. At what age did you recognise that you were dyslexic? Um, I don't know. I can still remember being in primary school and... I used to have to go to the special education department to do extra English. I was not happy about it because everyone else in my class was learning French and then I had to go and 
sit there in a small classroom and I'm not being offensive or anything like that. You know, we had some kids that had Down syndrome at our school. We had some kids that were had cerebral palsy and had different disabilities that were in the special education department. And here I was. As a 12-year-old boy that had the brute strength of a man but had to still go to the special education unit to learn your English. How do you reckon that made you feel? I felt, I felt like just turning left and just bolting, not going in there. If you feel dumb and worthless and, you know, what's wrong with me? You feel degraded and you feel like you've let yourself down. It's just how I felt. Any type of sporting equipment that was put in my hand, I gave it a crack. And if I wasn't the best at it, I was, I was pretty damn good. But then it, when it was a sit down with a pen and paper or... Something that's so simple for so many at your age to read and write, and you couldn't do it. No. Well, it's called a hidden disorder, but dyslexia affects nearly 15% of Australians. It's also called a learning disability, yet people with dyslexia are often able... I rebelled and I went the other way and really pushed back on everything. And you know, especially in the later years of high school, I used to call myself the security guard because I would go to classroom, the classroom and I'd drop my bag off and mark my name off the roll and then I would walk the school to make sure everyone was in class when I didn't want to be in there myself. And I would see Rachel's class out on the sporting field doing PE and I would hang out the window and yell out. and Be the class joker class joker and that's what I did as a kid I I hid behind comedy and humor and being the funny guy and you know being the big sporting guy and everyone you know oh big lovable Sam it's all good he'll be fine but inside you were really quietly falling apart massively falling apart I didn't know who I was I still feel it now. I absolutely still shit myself when I have to read something in front of someone. If I haven't done it myself or if I haven't wrote it down myself or prepared it myself or had the ability or chance to read it for three days before I need to do it, I absolutely shit myself. Doing radio work, I hate doing live reads. hate it because I don't want to be reading it live on air and then stuff it up and then just, you know, people think that I'm dumb. There's a lot of things, you know, that we could talk about here, but we met in grade eight, we hit it off, we were both sports kids. I loved netball, I was high achieving in the netball scene and we just met in grade eight and we sort of hit it off. I was very confident in a lot of aspects of life, but I was not confident in manual arts and home economics. So Sam passed both of my classes (laughs) for those two subjects uh, in grade eight and grade nine. I sewed the shit out of those trousers. He He sewed my trousers and got me a B plus while I sort of frolicked about the class and I don't know, socialised or did something like that. And then in grade eight, I remember him finishing off the car thing that you have to do in, you know, woodwork class. Um, So, yeah, we really formulated a really good friendship because he would pass those classes for me and I would help him out. 
with other things in school in the sense of, you know, like if you needed a hand with other subjects. I think I was more just the um, the friend and the one word that we have always used, I guess, until um, this year is just his driver. Like I was the driver in our friendship and I was the come on, let's go, let's do this, oh, my God. Like I was always the pep talk, always like, yep, let's stay in school, let's finish this, let's, um, let's do that. So that was me for our whole friendship. He was fun and, like, you could see, like, that lovingness in his eyes. He just, he was safe for me. He never pushed any boundaries. I never felt unsafe. Uh, And safety for me at that age was a really big thing and that was something that I was obviously looking for. So naturally I was drawn to that with Sam. And, yeah, he's just always fun and it was just easy and it was like hanging out with just a best mate instantly. It was just, I was very much a tomboy growing up. I only have three brothers, no sisters, so I was always around the boys. What attracted me to Rachel, she had a kindness about her and she cared. And that was what I was kind of looking for. You know, she was easy to talk to and it was strictly a friendship. And in saying that, there was a love there. We had a love for one another, but nothing was ever kind of forced or there's no pressure for us to have a relationship. We tried it for a week, it didn't work. I was in grade eight. I was in grade eight, yeah. He was a mute. I didn't speak. Sorry, it was it. kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Rachel dumped me over the phone too, actually. Was it? Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's all good. You still came back and spoke to me. I know. Like that, and was that was a weird thing. I think as soon as we put a, a label on what we had, it was just kind of weird. And we were just, I think at that point I don't in think time, we even held hands no. for that week, did we? No. no. I'm, you barely spoke to me. I no. felt like we all of a sudden started going out for yeah. that one week. And you talked to me before that week. And then during that week, you did not say a word. I know. And then the week, and then the day that I dumped you, you started talking to me the next day. See, exactly. No pressure. It was so much easier. Yes, <laughs> so much easier. Yeah. The boy on the wall was literally a boy on the wall. I can remember getting home from school and just kind of being a bit torn. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Again, um, feelings of not being smart enough to do anything at school or go on to get a good job. I was kind of happy to leave school and get an apprenticeship and kind of just get a trade. You know, the majority of the subjects I was choosing at that point in time at school were, you know, I was doing a metalwork class, I was doing a woodwork class, I was doing a graphics class. Building things, fixing things kind of came pretty natural to me and I couldn't see myself working a nine-to-five in an office somewhere the footy was on my radar but not on my radar so I didn't know whether I wanted to continue on with school or leave and get an apprenticeship. I got home from school and grabbed my footy, told mum I was just going to kick it over at the park which was around the corner and instead of going over to the park I rode to the dam which was up the road from our house and there was a hole in the fence on the other side of the dam and climbed up there and sat there quietly, blank. 
I didn't really care for much at that point in time. It didn't matter if I fell or if I jumped. Um, Did you feel like you wouldn't be missed? Or you, no one would notice? I kept on fighting with myself saying that no one would care if I jumped. But then I would worry about what would my parents say. What would your parents feel losing a 15-year-old jumping off the side of the wall? I didn't feel like anyone would miss me at all. I didn't... No one would even come and look for me. Why would they? So, just sat there staring, just not to care for anything. And then, don't know why, but shit myself when I saw the sun going down because I always have to be home before the sun goes down. But if you chose to jump, you wouldn't have ever come home after the sun had gone down? No. I was scared. I was scared. What would have happened if I didn't die and I jumped and I was in a wheelchair? be more of a burden. I'd already had feelings of being worthless and then imagine then becoming a burden. I'm not scared of heights, but there was definitely something scary about sitting there. What would you say to your 15-year-old daughter now that you're a father that's sitting on the wall thinking they're thinking the exact same thoughts, what would you say to her? I would tell her that you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring if you don't give it a chance to come. And I think that's why now, as a father, I try to show our girls as much love as possible. That's a short cut, It makes me, makes me just sad for him to think that he was going through that by himself. But at the same time, um, you know, it's made him and given him the strength in who he is today and, and what he's gone through, you know, just this far in his life. Um, so that in itself is exciting for him. But I think just that initial sadness to hear the state that, you know, you can get yourself in. And at 15, (laughs) life seems really hard for most. Um, But, yeah, he just sounds really lonely. So I can remember having a conversation with Rachel and talking to her about not wanting to continue on with school and Rachel really encouraged me to continue and finish year 11 and year 12 and the opportunities that would come if you know if I'd done that and 
it really encouraged me to stay positive and see out the remaining couple of years of, of high school. And to be honest, if I didn't, I would have never have uh, seen or had the opportunities that came my way. In year 11, Rach and I were both senior leaders at a year eight school camp, which was a lot of fun and showed myself personally that the influence that you can have on young kids and they actually engaged and had fun and I really enjoyed that time and then you know going into year 12 Rach and I were voted sports captains of the school Rach did all the heavy lifting and did all the speeches and you basically showed up I just showed up <clears throat> for everything and put the school colors on and <laughs> waved the flag I was the flag bearer and Rachel was the the speech giver the speech writer. The speech writer. The deliverer. Yeah. The worker. My part of the speech was... Standing there and smiling. What's up, Cohen? Hi. Oh, in your dreams. You didn't <laughs> yeah. even say that. I never said that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and that, that level of friendship and love that I had for Rachel then, it grew massively and just through the, the care that she showed me and the time and effort and that was a, a massive hand up for me. I think our friendship also provided both of us with a consistency to life at the time. So I looked for safety, I guess, in our friendship with Sam, well, my friendship with Sam, but also then I provided him with consistency of a friendship because I was forever always there behind him sort of cheering him on or you know, telling him he's got this, just with my hand slightly in his back, sometimes a little bit harder than others. But it was like, you know, you sort of each other's cheerleader and, and we never had anything else other than um, a really solid friendship. He made it to the end of grade 12, finally. I think the incentive as well, I remember it in grade 9, one of the incentives for Sam to stay on. You don't have to bring this up. Grade. Have to bring to grade up. 12 was he asked me to formal in grade 9. Have to lock it in early. <laughs> and I remember saying to him, yeah, look, if you're here still, I'll consider it. We'll go to formal together. I remember that being a conversation that we had in grade 11 of me going, well, if you leave now, I won't have anyone Let to go to formal with. And you promised me that in grade 9. So he also had a little bit of a deal to um, withhold there. So we, we finished, we graduated together. We went to formal together. We did all of that. Towards the end of grade 12, I was lucky enough to be uh, recruited and signed by the Brisbane Broncos. It wasn't very long after graduation. Everyone kind of went off to schoolies and... I had to move to Brisbane to start pursuing a dream that probably only really happened for me after being challenged by Rachel and, you know, it was another school teacher as well who really challenged me and pushed me to really pull my finger out and if I wanted to chase and pursue the dream of becoming a, a professional rugby league player, I had a, a huge chance and I wrote about George Bartlett in my book because he was a guy that was, um, he was there for me, he... He was a, a teacher that was also one of our coaches. He really challenged me to come to school early in the morning and train and he said that he'd train with me and I had another mate who would come and pick me up in the mornings because it was too hard for mum to juggle two younger brothers and then drop me to school early in the morning and then come back and drop them to school. And so, you know, another mate, Bevan Cameron, used to come and pick me up and take me to school and we used to train together in the mornings and... He was your hard love teacher. 
Yeah, I needed a hard love teacher. I had a couple of really good hard love teachers. Um, you needed them, though, as a kid. They're detrimental years for you because they're very formative as to the man you become. I mean, your mum was pretty <laughs> hard love at the best of times. Mum was hard love. As a kid, I didn't want hard love from my mum. I wanted love. I wanted affection. I wanted to crawl up and snuggle on the couch with my mum. I wanted mum to come and give me a, a hug when I was upset in my room. Or Hard love taught me a lot of things from both my parents. Um, it's no one's fault. It's not my mum's fault or my dad's fault. And that was the parenting style they were taught themselves and that's what they saw themselves. My mum grew up on a farm with my grandfather. My grandmother had left. That's all she knew was hard love. It was, we've got sheep to shear, we've got to tend to this paddock, we've got to fix that fence, we've got to do it. Otherwise, there's nothing on the table. There's no food on the table. There's no money coming in, so... Hard love taught me a lot of things, but the hard love that I was getting from the teachers at school were, were brilliant. Georgie was fantastic. He he questioned me on things and pushed me with things, and as much as I pushed back sometimes, he'd push you I, even harder. He pushed me harder, and I it made me it made me a better football player. Yeah, he knew how hard it was, and. He knew how cutthroat it was and there's only a small, small percentage that go on to do amazing things. Jonesy was another one, maths teacher, and she didn't take my shit. She gave me raw responsibility in the classroom and that probably taught me some of the leadership skills that I needed to take with me and evolve into the sporting career that I wanted. So if it wasn't for that handful of people really showing me the way and really pushing me in the in the right direction i i wouldn't have had the chance and opportunity to get the contract with the broncos as everyone went to schoolies i was how do you feel about missing schoolies I didn't, you still got to hang up about it <laughs> i didn't miss much to be honest no you um, didn't miss much it was just a week of fun yeah um there was a lot of sacrifices throughout my whole professional sporting career that i had to make and that was that was probably the first one is you miss out on some fun things sometimes, but the end goal was definitely worth it. Friday is upended Kite. Friday is the tackler. Brent Kite is the tackle. For me, Brisbane was massive. You know, coming from Townsville where I grew up and it was, you know, Townsville's a, he's a big country town, to be honest, and everyone kind of knows everyone somehow and you move to Brisbane and it just seems like the biggest city you've ever been to and kind of only ever been to Brisbane a handful of times whether it was for athletics or whether it was for uh, a rugby league tournament that we were part of so that was very very scary as a 17 year old the coach that probably pushed me the most was Wayne Bennett a true leader does not see himself as a leader he or she becomes one by the quality of their actions and the honesty of their intent I had him for oh, majority of my career as a coach and I can't remember what year it was but I do remember playing a state of origin game once and coming back into the Broncos a little bit kind of stubborn uh, a bit cocky full you of know, yourself full of myself kids these days would say had a bit of swagger about me <laughs> but um <laughs> Wayne Wayne put me in my place and he just said 
that I wasn't performing well enough to be a part of the Broncos team and he dropped me to reserve grade. Yeah, it was a, not an easy decision, but it's been made, so... Other reasons behind it? Oh, I just form. I got, um, uh, came down to, to who I wanted to put where. And, I remember uh, that day. It was kind of the the wake up call that I needed to go. Well, get, you're not bigger and better than the team. Yeah, you've represented your state, and congratulations, well done. But you come back here, and you're a part of a team. You're part of something that's trying to build greatness here. So, it's what I needed. I remember there's so many times when Sam was dropped to uh, I think it was was it Toowoomba Clyde Stars. Yeah. When he first moved to Brisbane, I followed sort of not far behind, maybe about oh, nine months, ten months after. So then when we first moved to Brisbane, I remember my mum and I getting a house, and at the time Sam was like, "I'll oh, rent a room." So he rented a room as well like we just rented a place and it was really big and he lived pretty much all downstairs and we were upstairs in the dungeon in his eyes he sort of that was the biggest i was in the laundry (laughs) i would literally get home from work and i would know that he'd been dropped that day to the Clydes because I would walk in and we wouldn't have spoken all day and I would have been at work all day and I walk in and I'd hear like a a certain music playing. <laughs> it was like oh like all Celine like Dion. no it was love songs like real R and B love songs like poor me oh my gosh I've gone through a breakup but he hadn't gone through a breakup he just got dropped to the reserves and it was just it was depressive and he would just be sitting like literally in the dark just sulking. He had no ability or coping mechanism to being dropped to the Clydes and it just came out in music sulking and food and then you know he'd play a really good game of Clydes and then he'd be back and then we'd be back on the roller coaster of like and we weren't we again we were just friends and I had already joined the roller coaster ride um of the football life at that stage but yeah music food and darkness do you miss me at all do you think about the things we used to do Sam's story continues next week. At the end of the 2018 season, um, that they, they weren't going to uh, offer me another contract, there was um, an allegation of a sexual assault. Uh, that I was involved in. Look, Rach, I'm really sorry to be calling you. Uh, He's okay, he's alive. Something that people praise you for and admire you for, and then it finishes and stops. You don't know where the next, what's next for you. Who are you without this sport that you've you've chosen to to be such a big part of your life that was the the thing with rugby league it 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 could give you so much but take so much away as well a pod shape production